And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I met him at the lunch, man. Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Masked Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Guys! 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 Fellas, think we could listen to the radio or something? Hello everyone, I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, Mandel Kramer stars as the insurance investigator with the action-packed expense account on yours truly, Johnny Dollar from 1962. Then Fibber finds $20,000 in a sofa on part one of Fibber McGee and Molly from 1942. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. Vivacious Lisa over here. You know, I love the title, How You Found Money in a Sofa, because I found something in my sofa. What did you find? I can't say it on the air. You can't say? <laughs> and look who's over there, Mike Estella. I see you. Hey, hey Mike. How's it going, guys? All right, that's my team here on Hollywood 360, and we're going to start things off with Mike's favorite radio show, yours truly, Johnny Dollar, right, Mike? That's correct. All right. Well, uh, Johnny Dollar was an insurance investigator, and this series premiered in 1949. It was one of the longest-running detective shows of all time, 14 seasons on the air. It followed the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. He worked for the Universal Adjustment Bureau. He was a world traveler. And he recovered valuables for a cut of the goods. Each story recounted in flashback. Johnny Dollar listed each line item from his expense account. Dick Powell auditioned to star in this program. He did not get picked up. But then other actors did. Edmund O'Brien, John Lund, Bob Bailey, Mandel, Kramer, and others. It lasted all the way until 1962, but it never made a transition to television. We have a 1962 episode for you now from January 21st. It's called The Terrible Torch Matter. This stars Mandel Kramer. Here's part one of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar. Fred Larkin, Johnny, at New Jersey Fire and Casualty. Fred. I hope I didn't get you out of bed. Well, you certainly did, but don't give it a second thought. How are you, Freddy? Pretty good. How are things in the grand old historical city of Trenton? Here in Trenton, fine. A little farther south, though, I'm not so sure. Like where, for instance? Like just outside of a little town called Woodbine. Remember it? Woodbine? Yeah, you handled a case for us down there three or four years ago. Oh, sure, sure, I remember. Some crook with a mattress factory pulled the old stunt of billing his clients more than they actually paid for the stuff he sold them. Right. Not knowing about that little trick, we'd give them insurance for the amount shown on those phony bills. Double what they paid. And when something happened to the merchandise... Sure, they collected twice as much from us as they were entitled to. Real nice people down there. (laughs) Well, what goes this time? A couple of fires. Oh? Arson? That's what I hope you can find out. Any reason for suspicion? Yes, I think so. Like what? Why don't you run on down here and let me tell you all. And Johnny... Yeah, If what I think is going on is going on, if you can put a stop to it before we have to pay for any more losses, 
Well, you can figure on not only your expense account, but a nice, big, fat commission to boot. Freddie, you speak the language I love to hear. I'm on the way. CBS Radio Network brings you Mandel Kramer in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the New Jersey Fire and Casualty Insurance Company Home Office, Trenton, New Jersey. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the terrible torch matter. Expense account item one, $20 and a half, and that covers a taxi out to Bradley Field, then plane fare to Philadelphia, PA. Item two is 50 bucks deposit on a rental car. I headed north on Lucky 13, crossed the Delaware at Morrisville, a lot quicker and easier than George Washington did, I might say, and landed in Trenton, the Jersey State Capitol, shortly after noon. Since Fred Larkin's office is right there on State Street, I made like a starving Armenian. He took the cue and hauled me over to Hildebrecht's for lunch. What makes me believe it was arson and there'll be more of it? Well, I'll tell you, Johnny. You think there'll be more of it, Freddy? Unless you can throw a monkey wrench in the works. How well do you remember Woodbine, Johnny? Oh, I don't know. It's mostly farm country down there, as I recall. That's right. And acres and acres of sandy soil, scrub oak, and pine trees. But in the little town itself, there's a hat factory, a couple of dress factories, and the Golden Bedding Corporation, the plant you investigated before. And which one of them burned? Uh, no, no. The two fires that we've had to pay for so far. Two? Two. They occurred just outside of Woodbine, about halfway between Woodbine and Dennisville. Mm -hmm. uh, because those plants in town I mentioned seem to have done pretty well, some promoter came along, bought up a couple of hundred acres, and promoted a little industrial section big enough for nearly a dozen small clothing, upholstery, and dress material factories. I see. Well, it's sort of a funny place for that kind of thing, though, isn't it, Freddie? Well, that's just the point, Johnny. It's a lousy place for such an operation. Mm. Too far from any of the regular supply sources. A long, long way to ship their finished goods. All their fuel and power have to be imported. Labor's hard to get, and so on. Yeah. In other words, the big pitch for those companies to get out of the high rent, high labor cost area didn't mean a thing. They've been slowly but surely going broke. Mm. And there's nothing like a good fire to pay off the bills, provided there's plenty of insurance. Right. And like I said, there have been two of them so far, and I'm afraid there are going to be more. Why, Freddy? Well, simply because an idea like that, when it pays off so nicely, and when it can be gotten away with, can be very catching. You have a point there. Mm. When you say gotten away with, does that mean the police were able to find no signs of arson? Right. But when you talk about the police, don't forget how small that town is. Now, yeah. uh, when was the last fire? About a week ago. A week? And you wait till now to call me? I know, I know, I know. But I only found out about the second one yesterday. Uh, that means a pretty cold trail. But I'll see what I can do. Good. Now, how many factories are there in that little complex? About a dozen, did you say? Eleven, Johnny. And here's the point. Yeah. Eight of them are owned by people who are one way or another related to each other. Hmm. No wonder you're afraid the idea might spread. Right. All right, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to call in some help. In the form of Smokey Sullivan. Smokey Sullivan? That's right. Smokey? Yep. 
Uh, that sounds like the name of somebody who'd commit arson. <laughs> He's one of the best, Freddy. What? Smokey probably has set more successful fires than you and I ever heard of. He got away with it for years. Well, that, uh, I, I don't understand. Well, since doing time, he's gone legit. And is of more help to me over the past four years than anybody else I can think of. Well, just the same, Judge. He knows more about firebugs, their methods, their eccentricities, the little trademarks that some of them leave behind than any man alive, believe me. That's why he's been of such use to me. Oh, okay, Johnny, if you say so. You know what his job is right this minute? What? He's a kind of consultant for an arson squad up in Boston. It's been made a matter of public knowledge. As a result, arson up there is pretty much a thing of the past. No kidding. No kidding. Well, in that case, of course. He's on the payroll, too? Oh, whatever you say. Good. Uh, one more thing, Fred. Yes? Is there any kind of a bank there in Woodbine? I don't know. I, I, I imagine not. But there's a, a loan office that I guess kind of serves as a bank. Mm -hmm. I know that some of our checks have been cashed through it. Good. Not much more than a one-man operation, though, I understand. All the better. Is it? Why? Well, could be a mighty good source of information for me. Oh? Yeah. How? And for what kind of information? That's just... Wait and see. Item three is a total of 4140. Covers a long-winded phone call to Boston, then Smokey Sullivan's plane fare, and finally dinner and hotel accommodations for the two of us there in Trenton. Yeah, but uh, Johnny, where could that racket down there in South Jersey in such a little one-horse town like that? Well, why not, Smokey? Without a smart metropolitan police force to contend with, be a cinch for a good torch man. Uh... I mean, for him to get away with it. And certainly a whole string of factories, no matter how small, could promise enough loot to make it worthwhile for him. Another thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, Johnny. A lot of those plants are owned by people related to each other. Oh. Who got suckered into setting up and operating in that unlikely place by some smart promoter. Now, if that family group all came from one place, like, well, from one big city, maybe that'll give us the key as to where they dug up their firebug. Who knows? Maybe that gang has used an arsonist before, or wherever they operated before. Uh, maybe, maybe so, yeah, yeah. Smokey, the point is that if a couple of them have found out what they think is the answer to their financial troubles, the rest of them are liable to try it, right? Well, yeah, if it was arson, Johnny. That's what you've got to find out for me, okay? Yeah. Early the next morning in my rental car, we headed south through what's known as the Piney Country, passing towns with such colorful names as Mount Holly, Indian Mills, through Hamilton, Maze Landing, and Tuckahoe. Finally, Woodbine. After signing in at a motel, I gave Smokey the car keys and told him he was on his own while I paid a visit to the loan office. Smokey understood and took off. As for the loan office, it was just what Fred had thought, a one-man operation. And as for the owner, Mr. Hanley M. Becker? What's that, what? You 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 want to know what, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Dollar, did you say it is, Dollar? That's right. Johnny Dollar. Yeah. What's your business here? Well, I'm a special investigator, Mr. Becker, for the company that's insured a lot of people and property down here in this section. Uh, investigator? That's huh? right. And I want to know the financial condition of every one of the 11 factories at that little industrial complex outside of town. Well, then, uh, why come to me? Well... Don't you function as a kind of a bank for some of these people? Well, of course I do, but <laughs> what's the matter with you, young man? Don't you realize anything like that is is is, is uh, completely uh, confidential? Is um, 
Is 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 nobody's business but the banks and the uh, the the the, uh, the 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 companies? <laughs> Why, what kind of a banker do you think I am? Eh? I'm beginning to wonder. Well, you can keep right on wondering. Besides, there aren't eleven of them out there anymore. There's only nine. Thanks to a couple of fires. Yes, blasted. And if the insurance company doesn't pay off on those 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 those, those, those fires, now uh, don't you worry, boy. I'll... <laughs> I'll collect on those loans somehow. Then you have loaned those factory owners quite a bit of money, hmm? Well, of course I have. Of course I... I, 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 t- I tell you it's none of your business. Well, I think it is. Well, you just... Just tell that insurance company of yours to pay off. Pay off on those losses so, so I can get back... Back, back... Get back my money on the... On the two that, that burned down. Even if those fires were set? Yes, even if they... If they were... What? What'd you say? Well, you know... Well, I don't. Well, how do you know that they were... What? What was that? Huh? I said I don't know. Not for sure, that is. But I intend to find out. Yeah. Because yeah. if they were, Mr. Becker, and if the owners can be tied into it, or you or anybody else concerned... Me? Believe me, there will be no payment of insurance. You can bank on that. But... but, but well, <laughs> there's no insurance, then... Uh, well, then what'll I... Well, that is to say, if they don't... They, well, what I mean is... Uh, and you're accusing me? No, no, no. Just, just calm down. Oh, me. yes, yes, sure. Calm down. But, but these, 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 these things you're saying, now, Mr. Dollar... let's take I... things one at a time, shall we? I said you've loaned them a lot of money. Haven't you? Well, yes. yes. Well, they, they... They had to pay off on the property when that pr- pr- promoter up north threatened to put them out of business. And what about the workers? The, 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 the help? They had to build a lot of living accommodations for them, didn't they? Well, did they? From what I understand, Mr. Oh, yes, Becker. yes, 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 yes. You're right. There are no workers anymore. Well, huh. that is, there's not enough workers to hmm, speak of. You mean they're out of business? Well, yes, practically, practically. Nothing much in use out there but the warehouses where they keep their goods. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff they'll probably never use now. But if if, if they, they, they don't pay off on their loans, well, <laughs> I'll just have to... Take over and get what I can for those plants. Is the ones that are 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 left. That is not if they burn down first. Not what you say, huh? Use your head, Mister Becker. If they're burned out the way the first two were, and if we find out that there was arson involved, you you really do think that there might be other fires? Oh, but 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 but, but good heavens, Mister Dollar! Don't you don't don't you see what what that would mean? <laughs> I mean, if if they're arson, like you say, why? Well, don't you realize that would ruin me? Ruin me? Possibility, isn't it? Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. oh please, please. Now, don't let it happen. It mustn't, mustn't, mustn't happen, Mr. Dollar. Listen, I'll, I'll tell you anything you want to know. Anything, anything you, 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 you want to know. Just, just, just please, please ask me. Well, Mr. Becker, for the moment, I think I've learned enough. Oh, but I, 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 I haven't told you anything. Oh, you haven't, hmm? I went back to the motel and waited for Smokey to come in with a report on what he'd learned at the scene of the two fires. Noon came and I went out for a bite of lunch. That's item four, a dollar ten. At two p.m., he still hadn't returned. It's funny. He could usually take one good look at the remains of a fire and know almost immediately if it had been sent. So perhaps he had found something to really get to work on. I hoped so. But to go ahead without telling me... That wasn't like him. When he hadn't appeared by five o'clock, 
I left word where I'd be and went back to the loan office. Mr. Becker was just about to lock up for the day. Oh, uh, hold everything, Mr. Becker. Huh? Who's that? Oh, oh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Dollar. Oh, it's, it's, it's quite all right, Mr. Dollar. Here, come in. Come in. Come in, here, please. Thanks. Yeah, I, uh... I've been thinking about what you told me this morning, Mr. 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 Dollar. Yes? And, and if you're right, if you're right, what? Come in, come in. Oh, oh, you, uh, you are in, aren't you? Uh, yes. Just a couple of other things I need to know, Mr. Becker, and then a favor that I want to ask. Oh, anything, Mr. Dollar. I mean, and, All right, anything. now, these factory owners that you loaned the money to. Yeah, for labor, housing, and uh, plant improvement. For uh, additional trucks and, and materials. Thousands, Mr. Dollar. Thousands. Oh, I'm sure. Yes, yes. They just didn't realize. Well, none of us realized that they wouldn't be able to, to make a go-go go of things like the hat factory, the, the clothing factories here in town. Yes. These old established factories have, have no labor problem or a housing problem because they use people, people you know, from, from right here, the, the, the people people here in town, yes. unlike these, these new newcomers. All right. Now, Mr. Becker, these newcomers, where did they come from? What? Oh, come from? Oh, well, uh, from uh, up in, in, in North Jersey, from up around Patterson, you know, when all the, the mills, the, uh, the silk business and all the others, when they, when they went into a, a, a slump up there. All right. Now, if I remember correctly, there were several big arson jobs up there. That means torchmen were available. That means these people would know about them, would know where to contact them if they wanted to. Well, I... Uh, so if Smokey's yeah, found out what I suspect he has... Uh, Smokey? My co-worker on this case. Oh, And oh. apparently, Mr. Becker, he's found out something. But where and what it is, I don't know yet, because he has my car with him. Well, you need a car? Here. Here, please. You use mine. Hey, you see? It, it's, it's the one out there in front. Here, take the keys. Well, thank you. And, and if you need me, if I can be of any help to you... Just I... give me some directions. I wondered. But no, it didn't make sense. He was no actor, and his worry and excitement looked genuine. Yet, of course, you can never be sure... Following directions, I headed south on 557, and after a couple of miles, cut over toward the old Dennisville Road. And there it was. The group of nine factories, obviously not in operation, and a couple of storage buildings and warehouses, all with weeds growing up around them. The same applied to a group of cottages. Shacks would be a better word, scattered out among some pine trees nearby. And then I saw my rental car. Not beside one of the burned-out buildings, but next to a big, windowless warehouse. There was no sign of Smokey Sullivan. But a metal side door on that storage building was open. Had he found another setup for a fire there inside of it? Well, there was one way to find out. Smokey! Smokey, are you inside there? Smokey? You in here? What if there's a light switch around here somewhere? Smokey? Smokey? Smokey, can you hear me? Are you still alive? Smokey? Good Lord. Smokey Sullivan. I carried him gently to the car and drove him back to the motel in Woodbine. There, thanks to the ministrations of Dr. Rosenberg, a local medico, 
Well, I still can't believe it, but by the time the doctor left, half an hour later... Johnny, you think... Now, take it easy, <laughs> Smokey. You were badly beaten. Boy, do you think some two-bit torch man like him could knock me off, huh? Smokey, will you lie back now and relax? <laughs> I'm too tough, Johnny. I don't care how tough you are. You've got to take it easy for a while. It was Pete. What? Pete Larison, Johnny. Larison? Yeah, from up in Patterson. Oh? Yeah, yeah. They're all ties together. Yeah. Why did he do this to you, Smokey? Does yeah. Pete Larison know that you're working with me now? Well, I guess... <laughs> I guess he thought I was trying to muscle in his territory. But if he saw you go there, Johnny, and if he knows... If he knows who you are... Well, how could he? Well, you think he wouldn't... They all do. Oh, Johnny. Now, listen. If you know him, if you know what he looks like, look, as Johnny. soon as we get you back on your feet, we... look, better yet, just give me a description of him. No, 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 listen to yeah. me. Tonight, he's going to fire that warehouse tonight. Tonight? Yeah, yeah, and listen. Well, it's after dark right now. I better get going. Uh, Johnny. Smokey, I want you to settle <laughs> back and rest. <laughs> About the other, Johnny. Forget it. If I stop him on this one, there won't be any others. No, no, what I mean by the other... That's the first portion of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hey, fans of Classic Radio, Carl Amari here. I've created a free app just for you. Get 10 Classic Radio shows free in the Classic Radio Shows app. Plus, there are many more shows available for in-app purchase. You can get your free Classic Radio Shows app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. The easiest way to get your free app is to log on to Hollywood360radio.com and scroll down to the Classic Radio Shows app banner and click either the Google link or the Apple link. Don't miss out. Get your free Classic Radio Shows app today. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now let's get back to yours truly, Johnny Dollar. When I got back to the warehouse and with a flashlight, now there wasn't a soul around the place. I thought. But as I slowly opened that side door again, I was almost knocked over by the smell of gasoline fumes. Then as I quietly swung the door closed and flattened against the wall, feeling around for a switch, suddenly all the lights went on. Don't... Reach for anything but the ceiling, Johnny Dollar. That's right. I see. You're Larison. That's right. Pete Larison. And you'd pull that trigger inside this gasoline-loaded place? Be a lot better than giving you a chance to draw and pull off a shot at me. I wouldn't. Waller. Yeah, Pete? What? Right here in back of you, Dollar, so don't try nothing. You feel this? Oh, yeah, I feel it. Take his gun away, Waller. I'm sure he has one. Sure. Okay, I got it. And you see, Dollar, the elaborate preparations I've made for the little fire that we're to have here tonight. <laughs> And because of all the heavy upholstery material that's stored in here, It looked to the stupid police as though it all went up because of spontaneous combustion. The elaborate preparation was right. Long, narrow strips of heavy felt soaked with gasoline spread out from where he stood like the rays of a spider's web. And the strips led to various stacks of upholstery material and piles of cardboard cartons he'd also soaked with gasoline. 
Then moving toward me, he unrolled another heavy strip of felt, the main fuse for his operation. And you see, Dollar, all I have to do now is set a short candle on the end of this fuse right here by the door. So, then after planting you in here, I light the candle. And don't you see if they can identify what's left of you? <laughs> and if they do by any chance suspect arson, they'll think that you set this off. You, the great Johnny Dollar. Don't you know that Smokey Sullivan is still alive? They'd take his word against my perfect alibi. What alibi? By the time the candle burns down and starts the blaze, Walter and I will be sitting at his home with poor, foolish old Hanley Becker playing Pinochle. Then he doesn't know about this. Becker? He doesn't know anything. He thinks we're just a couple of suckers from the city who might buy some of his overpriced farmland. No, Dollar. The only ones who know are the plant owners who've hired us. Well, thanks for that information. It's too late to do you any good. Walter. Yeah, Pete? While I take care of Dollar, you get those gasoline cans out to where we hid the car. Oh, yeah, sure. Just these two of them, ain't there? Yeah. Go ahead. Sure. Things happened then much faster than I can tell you about it. As Walter holstered his gun and turned to pick up the gasoline cans, I shifted my weight a minute past in front of me and kicked open the door. I spun around against it. Hey! Grabbed away one of the cans, threw it over at Pete, and rolled out the door tight against the ground. Oh, yeah, you and that's where Pete made his big mistake. Get away, Walter. In that room full of gasoline fumes, he pulled off a couple of shots. Went up. rolled me a hundred yards or so across that sandy ground, and I came to only a couple of minutes later. Walter, who was blown against the side of my car, ended up with a concussion. As for Pete, well, I don't think I need to tell you. And that's it, Freddy. The company can prosecute the factory owners any way it seems fit. Expense account total, including a chunk for Smokey, damage to the rental car and the trip home, Call it 1500 even. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, the biggest blunder that I've ever made. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Truly, Johnny Dollar is written by Jack Johnstone, produced and directed by Bruno Zerato Jr., music supervision by Ethel Huber. Johnny Dollar is played by Mandel Kramer. Also featured in our cast were Leon Janney as Hanley Becker, Sam Gray as Fred Larkin, Mason Adams as Pete Larison, Larry Haynes as Smokey Sullivan, and James Dimitri as Walter. Be sure to join us next week, same time, same station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Art Hanna speaking. Get the news firsthand and in full, the expanded CBS News on CBS Radio Network. And that's yours truly, Johnny Dollar from January 21st, 1962, with a terrible torch matter starring Mandel Kramer, also in the cast, Leon Janney, Mason Adams, and Larry Haynes, as heard on CBS. Before we tune into Fibber McGee and Molly, I want to remind everybody about our Classic Radio Club. Lisa even joined the Classic Radio Club. Mike, can you believe that? Yeah, I believe it. Well, yeah. it she, was such a good deal, she I can afford to pass it up. I know she can well, afford to. Well, all this money that I make, I put right back into the Classic Radio Club. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you joining, Lisa. Really, I do. And you got your first... 
five-CD collection with ten classic radio shows. I did. It was only four ninety-nine for the first month. How can so you I beat figured, that? you know what? I'll give it a shot. If I like it, then I'll get another set every month thereafter. All right. And I love it. All right. So some of the great shows that yeah. I got, we've got Abbott and Costello, who's on first, uh, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape. Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun, Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. It's so, like a smorgasbord. It is, but it's all the, our favorites in one one mailing. Yeah, well, when you join the club, you will get 10 classic radio shows on five CDs for only $4.99. It's, it's normally thirty nine ninety five. But as I said, when you join, it's only $4.99 plus shipping and handling. Then every month after that, you will get 10 more shows, completely different shows, on five CDs each and every month for only $14.99. So it's $10 more, but it is regularly priced at $39.95. So it's a great offer, and you could cancel at any time. So do check it out. Go to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Com. All right, time now for Fibber McGee and Molly. This is a broadcast from November 17, 1942. Fibber finds 20 grand in a sofa. Let's tune it in. Part one of Fibber McGee and Molly. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. Isn't it fun to go for a walk in the new-fallen snow with the icy wind bringing a tingle to your blood and whipping the roses into your cheeks? Oh, you don't think so? Well, neither do Fibber McGee and Molly. Boy, I'm sure I ain't out in that snow. Whew. Glad I'm not out in that snow, I mean. I'll take my flakes made out of corn with cream and sugar. <laughs> you know, I love the first snow of winter myself. You do? Why, sure, you'll have to admit it's beautiful, McGee. Just think, a foot and a half of snow and made of billions and billions of little crystals, yeah. each one a tiny little work of art. Yeah, and you take a handful of them little works of art and sprinkle them on the top step of the porch and wham! <laughs> They carry you inside with a busted clavicle. <laughs> Don't be like that. Now, you haven't any appreciation of nature, dearie. Oh, I have so, too. Nobody gets a bigger honk out of a beautiful sunset than I do. Then why? Because right after the sunset comes supper. Well, so what? <laughs> anyway, I'm glad it's stormy and I can't go anyplace. Well, that's fine. Then you can help me clean out the attic. What do you mean, clean out the attic? We just did. When? Why, just let... Well, it was just before... We... Just before Election Day? Yes. And who got elected? Roosevelt. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Teddy, but my gosh, the attic can't... Listen, McGee, we've got to do it. Molly, I, I ain't going to have time Besides, to be... I think I saw your old army uniform up there. I don't care. That attic has gone this long and it could... You saw what? I think I saw your old army uniform. The one you've been looking for all these years? Well, why didn't you say so? Did it have my sharpshooter's medal on it? I didn't notice. Were you a sharpshooter? Was I a sharpshooter? <laughs> you know what I used to do? What? I used to hold my rifle over my left shoulder with a looking glass in my left hand and knock a cigarette out of a soldier's mouth at 200 yards. Heavenly days. Yeah. Who on earth would volunteer to let you do that? 
Oh, an old buddy of mine. One ear Coggins. <laughs> he was always... You mean the poor lad that only had one ear? How'd he lose the other one? Well, if you must know, even a sharpshooter like me has his off days. <laughs> Come on, let's go up in the attic. Wait a minute now, you better put on some old clothes. It's pretty dusty up there. My old clothes don't fit me anymore. I tried on those old green pants of mine this morning, and I split the whole seat out of them. McGee, you didn't have any green pants. Huh? Those were my new slacks. <laughs> they were? Yes, and they cost me seven ninety-five too. Oh, McGee. Oh, well, okay, okay, I'm sorry. But that's what women get for wearing trousers. There was a time when a man knew what was his and what was his wife's. <laughs> now, if he dresses in the dark, he's lucky if he don't get whistled at by the guys in front of the cigar <laughs> used to be in your sweet little Alice blue gown, and now it's in your baggy old Harris tweed slacks. My slacks are not baggy, McGee. Well, maybe yours aren't, but did you ever see Mrs. Uppington in hers? <laughs> she looks like she was walking around sitting down. <laughs> now, let's go up in the attic and get it cleaned up. Oh, for goodness sakes, I wonder who's out on a day like this. Must be some friend of ours. I don't know any strangers that silly. <laughs> Come in. Oh, hello there, little girl. Oh, hello there, dear. McGee, now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going up in the attic. You come up as soon as you can. I'll be right up, Molly. Just as soon as I get rid of... Uh, I'll be right up. What's on your mind, sis? Hey, there's a dandy lot of snow out now, mister, and I thought maybe you'd want to pull me on my sled. Will you? Will you? No, no. No, I won't. You couldn't get me out of the house today with dynamite. You mean you won't pull me on my sled? No. Don't you like little children? Yes. Yes, I do, but I'm very fond of my health, too. Oh. The only time I want to play on the ice now is when my upper lip coasts down a cold cube in a tall glass of root beer. <laughs> you catch on? According to my daddy, you're going to play outdoors a lot this winter, I bet you. And stop quoting your old man at me, too. He was born dumb, and he's been losing ground ever since. <laughs> about my daddy. He's a nice man. Well, you're the one who brought him up, and he's the one who brought you up, and two wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> anyway, how does he know how much I'm going to play outside? I don't know, but after he heard your last couple of programs, he said, boy, that mug is going to have some hard sledding this winter. <laughs> oh, he said that, did he? Sure. <laughs> but I don't think he meant it. You don't? No, he looked awful happy when he said it. Now look, too little and too late. I haven't got time to stand around and rattle a cup with you. Now, so go on home. Beat it. I'm busy. What you doing? I'm going to clean out the attic. Mrs. McGee just found my old army uniform up there from the last war. Oh, gee. Were you in the last war, mister? Were you a general? <laughs> well, no, I wasn't. Though if it hadn't been for petty politics... Ah, oh, but that's a long story. <laughs> you know what General Pershing said to me when I asked him to make me a captain? No. Who told you? Well, I mean... <laughs> now, look, sis, you drop in some other time and I'll show you my sharpshooter's medal. All righty. Gee, I never knew you had a sharpshooter's medal, well, mister. Well, I have. What you get it for? What you... Oh, gun it, I got it for sharpshooting. I used to hit the bull's eye 99 times out of 100. Oh, didn't it hurt him? 
Hurt who? The bull. There wasn't any bull to it. <laughs> oh, no. 99 times out of 100. Oh, no. So long, mister. <laughs> Oh, just look at this attic, McGee. Did you ever see so much junk? What do you mean, junk? There's a lot of valuable stuff in this junk. Hey, where'd you see my old uniform? Isn't that right uh, there behind you? Huh? Isn't that it there? Well, I'll be... It sure is. <laughs> oh, look. Here's where I tore the knee climbing into a truck outside of St. Nazaire. Oh. Yes, sir. Here's where a bayonet went through the shoulder. Heavenly days, McGee. Yeah. In a hand-to-hand fight? No, on a dark road. <laughs> I stumbled and fell on my Springfield. <laughs> and here's my sharpshooter's medal. Did I ever tell McGee, you... McGee, huh? you never told me you were in the Air Force. I wasn't. Well, then what are those wings on the left breast of your coat? Where? I don't see any... Oh. Oh, that. That's a moth. Shoot. Scratch. Get out. Oh, look, McGee. Here's a newspaper from September 3rd, 1922. 20 years ago. Hmm. And listen to this headline. German printing presses pour out 100 billion marks every day. Why were they printing all that money, McGee? Inflation. <laughs> Terrible mess. In Germany, after the last war, it took a bushel basket of money to buy a pair of shoestrings. Anybody had the shoes to put them in. Heavenly days. <laughs> Does every war do that? You don't have to. That's why the government wants us to buy war bonds and pay off our debts and buy only what we need. If they keep things under control... And after the war, our money will really be worth something. Hey, do something for me, will you, Molly? What? Save that headline. Every time I start yipping about taxes, wave it in my face. <laughs> it's a promise. Every time... <clears throat> what do you got there? Bunch of old letters in the bottom of this trunk. Oh, here's one from my granduncle Jefferson. Oh, my. I ain't heard of that old snarly old coot for years and years and years. <laughs> Is it addressed to you? No, it says, to whomsoever in the McGee family it may concern. <laughs> I guess that's me as much as anybody. Here, you read it. Stingy old twerp must have wrote it with a toothpick in homemade ink. Uh, it's probably nothing. McGee, huh? listen to this. Huh? It says, should any of my descendants read this note, this is to inform them that I have concealed $20,000 in the upholstery of my horsehair sofa. My gosh, 20000 bucks. If this letter is never found, it won't matter much, because no McGee could ever be trusted with more than $3 at a time. <laughs> Signed, Jefferson McGee, August 13th, 1867. Why, that dirty old... $20,000. And who knows where that old sofa is now? You know, that's funny. I wrote a note just a day or so ago about a horsehair sofa. What? You did? Where? Oh, my gosh, Molly. Uh, maybe we can find it. What'd you write? What is it? Where, oh, where'd you... oh, calm yourself. I'm thinking now. Let me see. Where did I... I think I had it in the desk downstairs. Well, what are we waiting for? Come on, hurry up now. Here, quit pushing me. You go through that desk with a fine-tooth comb, Molly. If we can only trace that horse or sofa, we'll be rich. I support McGee, but I'm not sure what it said about a sofa, and maybe it wasn't even the same sofa. Oh, you think the McGee's ever had two horsehair sofas? No, sir, we were strictly a one-horse family. <laughs> come on, come on, Molly, get well, busy. Well, stop nudging me. I'm looking here. Now, let me see. Oh, Dad, Brad, come in. Oh, hello, Mr. Mayor. Oh, good day, Mrs. McGee. Hello, McGee. You look excited. Uh, I am excited, Latrivia. I'm an heiress. <laughs> I just come in to 20,000 bucks from my granduncle Jefferson. No, 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 you haven't, McGee. Huh? First, I have to find that note I wrote, and then we have to locate the sofa, if it's the same one, and then we have to see if the money is still in it. Good heavens, what is this all about? 
Why did he leave the money on a sofa? Because he knew a McGee would spend most of his life lying down, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> he never knew any such a thing, Latrivia. He wanted it to be discovered by a McGee with initiative, with brains, ingenuity, and enough interest in him to read the letters he left behind him, which I did. Which you did nothing of the kind. You refused to read it. Well, could I help it if I had tears in my eyes? <laughs> Poor old granduncle Jeff. You realize, I hope, McGee, that the possession of wealth entails certain responsibilities? Yes, you've got to live up to it, McGee. I know. Now, when a panhandler asks you for a cup of coffee, don't just give him a dime. Go with him and see where he gets it and get me some. <laughs> First thing I'm going to do is endow the Elks Club. Oh, my. Going to stake them to a new deck of cards. <laughs> that pack they're using now are so worn, the kibitzers can't read them over your shoulder anymore. They have to sit in your lap. <laughs> that isn't what I was referring to, McGee. I meant that riches bring obligations to the possessor. Oh. You must set an example to those who are not so well off. Help the underdog. Oh, he loves dogs, don't you, dear? Uh, I'll say I do. I'm going to get me a nice Irish setter pup. I didn't mean real dogs, McGee. Well, I was referring... how can you help a dog if he isn't real, Mr. Mayor? I was referring to people, Mrs. McGee. Oh, have... so you think people are dogs, do you, Latrivia? A fine altitude. I didn't say people were dogs. I merely said that I, as a leader of the people... Oh, now, think... calm yourself, Mr. Mayor. We can't have the leader of the people turning purple. I am not turning people. I mean purple. <laughs> I started to say that as a pup... A per- I mean a person I pop- He's got the pip I've got the pip I have not I was trying to say That if a pupson uh, A person wants to be a pup uh, Popular He'll probably uh, Probably Excuse me if I go out on the porch I think I have a flea You know, Molly, on second thought, I won't buy that Irish setter Latrivia was trying to sell me. <laughs> I'd rather have a good Springer. A Springer you is a... You can't buy a hot dog till you find that money, McGee. Oh, I'll find it. And that dough is rightfully mine, too. That horsehair sofa was in our house in Peoria for years. And what became of it? I don't know. Kids divided up the furniture. I remember all I got was a lot of old pictures. Must have been 50 of them. I threw them away. Too old-fashioned. Who painted them? Oh, a couple of amateurs named Courier and Ives or something like that. <laughs> Corny stuff. I see. So you threw away 50 Courier and Ives prints. Yeah, but I was no fool. I saved the frames. <laughs> <laughs> Kept us in kindling wood for months. Hey, you better get busy and find that note you wrote. Yes, I wish I could remember just what I... Now, let me see now. Horsehair sofa, horsehair sofa. Hello, folks. Am I intruding? Oh, not a bit, Mr. Wilcox. Come right in. Hi, Wilcox. Don't worry about tracking snow in here. We're moving very shortly. Moving? Where to? Don't look at me, Mr. Wilcox. It isn't my idea. We'll probably take a penthouse in New York, Wilcox. For the winter season, anyway. Possibly a few months at Virginia Hot Springs. Then we may summer in the White Mountains or Lake Louise. <laughs> I hope you can visit us for a weekend, old fellow. Get in some golf, you know. Uh, pardon me for pointing, but do you feel all right? <laughs> well, he's a bit ho- uh, seasick, Mr. Wilcox. <laughs> His dreamboat is a little rocky. <laughs> oh, come, come, Mrs. McGee. Let us not, let us maintain our dignity. <laughs> That's the first portion of Faber, McGee, and Molly from November 17, 1942. Jim and Marion Jordan. That's sponsored by Johnson's Wax. That's heard on NBC. We'll have more of that next time. But first, a break. Then it's more of Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. 
Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, next time, it's the conclusion to Fibber McGee and Molly, starring Jim and Marion Jordan. Then Rex Harrison stars in Night Train on Academy Award Theater from 1946. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.